Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. This week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast is brought to you by Local Line. Local Line is an e-commerce platform that helps farmers and local food suppliers direct market their products online, access new markets, and stay organized. Local Line is offering listeners of the Rural Woman podcast a free 30-day trial of their software and a free premium feature with a first-year subscription. Visit go.localline.ca slash ruralwoman to get started. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. This week's episode, you'll meet Kayla Lowermeyer. Kayla is one half of the mother-daughter duo creators of Under a Tin Roof. She is a mother and a wife, first-generation farmer, freelance writer, embroidery artist, and a master gardener. She lives in rural Iowa and works a small flower farm with her family amongst one of the largest Amish settlements west of the Mississippi River. She spends her days tending her garden, chasing chickens, reading Outlander, and sipping a hot cup of coffee. Kayla hopes to instill the idea of sustainability, creativity, and seasonal living in others. Well, my friends, she definitely does that today on this episode, as well as over on the Instagram. Her handle is under a tin roof. And I actually was introduced to Kayla through one of the listeners of this podcast who recommended her for an interview. So thank you, Kara at Wild Soap Farm so much for the nomination for Kayla. And guys, if you have somebody that you want to hear on the Rural Woman podcast, I do have a nomination form over on wildrosefarmer.com. You can always check that out as well as you can nominate yourself. If you want to share your story on the show, be sure to fill out that form and I would love to connect with you. Before we get to today's episode, we'll go over our review of the week. This week's review comes from Ash underscore Lee 96 over on Apple Podcasts. This five-star rating and review is titled Binge Worthy Podcast. I love the Rural Woman Podcast. As an egg enthusiast, someone who studied egg but isn't working in it, and a woman, I am all for this podcast. Sharing the stories of different types of agriculture and empowering women in this field is something I can't support enough. I love learning different things, breaking down myths, and finding different resources to learn from, and hearing about everyone's different journey. Keep killing it, Caitlin. Well, thank you so much for your kind rating and review over on Apple Podcasts, guys. I love getting these reviews and it helps me keep going on the days that, you know, I don't feel like sitting behind this microphone. There's not a lot of them, but there are definitely days where I don't want to sit here. I'd rather be outside working in the garden or chasing a goat or any of these things. But again, but you know what? Sharing these stories of women in agriculture just lights my fire, and I just love that you guys are loving it too. So if you are loving the show and want to leave a rating and review wherever you listen to the show, please do that, and I will be sure to share your kind words on an upcoming episode. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's interview with Kayla. Good morning, Kayla. How are you? 
I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for joining me on the Rural Woman podcast today. I'm very excited to share your story with my audience. Oh, well, that's I'm excited too. I'm really excited to share it and talk with you more. Yes. So Kayla, tell us how it all got started for you. For my listeners who are unfamiliar with Kayla Lobermeyer, tell us who you are and where you're from. I'm Kayla Lobermeyer, and I'm from uh, rural Iowa. We're over in Wellman. And is that where you were born and raised, or is this where you moved? No, definitely not born and raised. I was born in Illinois, in the south suburbs of Chicago, Joliet. So kind of the farther suburbs, and growing up around there, they always told us that it was kind of farm country. And now where we live, we're in extremely rural Iowa, like about 2000 people. (laughs) And it's uh, a lot of Amish here too. And there it was probably, I don't know, population like 20,000 people. So it was definitely more uh, a city setting. So I grew up around that. And then we moved here when I had my son. So yeah, he was about a month old when we moved to Iowa. When I think of Chicago, I definitely don't think of farm country. <laughs> I've been to Chicago no. once. And yeah, it took a while to get out of the Chicago area to see farm country. It does. Yeah. And we're probably one of the farthest south suburbs, if you could even consider it that. And when we would have football games in school, people would show up with their overalls on and straw hats <laughs> and kind of make fun of our football team. And I think I knew one kid in school that actually lived on a farm out there. It's all commercial, big conventional farms. So nothing like where we live now. Yes. No, Amish and conventional farming don't really seem to go hand in hand. (laughs) No, no, not at all. Yeah, it's very, it's very picturesque where we live now. So let's talk more about your journey and how you've got to where you are now. So tell us your journey into entrepreneurship and homesteading. How did this all start for you? Sure. So my mom had started her business back when I was around two years old and she'd always been making handmade goods. She is a graphic designer and illustrator. So she would do paintings on furniture was kind of how she got started back when that was really popular in the 90s. And I would always go with her to all of the shows and travel around. I wanted to always be the cashier. <laughs> that was kind of my uh, my big desire when we would go and just help out. And then once I got into high school, my parents ended up looking into printing on fabrics and using her designs that she would create graphic design print that onto t-shirts and other clothing materials. And that kind of turned into uh, what we had going when I got started with her. So I was working in the food industry and restaurants and I had just had my son. I was 20 years old, single mom, and I was tired of having to leave him in the evenings. That was when I would go work. I was working at this brewery at the time. We had just moved to Iowa. My mom was making her, uh, she was trying to get more into a more creative side with her printing because for a while we had been doing kind of sportswear for high school, junior high, middle schools, 
and she wanted to get back into doing a more artistic view of her goods. So at the time I had really wanted to start blogging, but I had absolutely nothing to write about. So I kind of told her if I helped make your website and put the products online, could I also write on it? She thought that was a great idea. So we got started doing that. We were making linen and clothing and kind of getting into a more sustainable goods area of that. Back with our old products, we had tea towels and dream pillows and that kind of thing. I was interested in growing herbs. I had been doing that a little bit inside the house. And when succulents were really big, more popular, I guess. And I, I grew a few packets of herbs in our kitchen on the windowsill and they sprouted up. And I thought that was the most amazing thing I'd ever done and kind of got inspired and interested in gardening. And we had about a quarter of an acre property in town. So neighbors right up next to you, but the backyard was really big. And I just kind of asked if we could put a garden in and ended up making it probably too big for a family of three adults. It was 1,300 square feet. And my parents, my dad is amazing. He can build anything you dream up. So we built this little greenhouse, which is everybody loves seeing online. I feel like that's, we don't have it anymore because we live on the farm now, but that was a huge, a huge turning point for our business, at least social media wise, was that little greenhouse and uh, grew a garden and it went really well. And we got some chickens. We had never raised any farm animals because lived in the city and found out you could have chickens in town. So we got six chickens and they were probably more like pets than anything. Got collected eggs, grew our own food. I wasted probably 80% of it because I didn't know how to store it correctly or what to make with it. And uh, my, my friend who raises GAP certified hogs and then pasture-raised chicken and turkeys had said if we ever wanted to do a CSA with them because we had an overabundance of produce and I had been gifting all of it to her, we should do that together. And then it wasn't more than two or three months later, the farm that my parents are at now where we grow all of our things uh, popped up and we decided we were going to buy it. And we had an acre's worth of land to work with. And we just started a CSA program kind of flying by the seat of our pants. (laughs) But it went really really well. (laughs) This all started from herbs on your window seal. (laughs) Yeah. That is amazing. And it's only like within a few years. So it's been kind of crazy. Right. What year was that that you started gardening in Iowa? I guess it would have been 2016. This 2016. Right. And now you're on a full-blown homestead out in Amish country in Iowa. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I know when you kind of spell it out that way, it sounds a little bit like, oh my goodness. (laughs) Right. Well, and it's funny, like when people have these stories to tell and from an outsider's perspective, when you put it that way, it's like, you think of it, you're like, oh, I really did that in a short amount of time. So that is amazing and good for you and your mom for being so creative and coming up with something that has grown into a very big and profitable business for you guys. So that is very cool. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs> the Rural Woman Podcast is supported by Local Line. 
Who is Local Line? They are an e-commerce platform for farms and local food suppliers so you can sell online and save time managing your business. They also have a completely free website builder that you can use without even having a Local Line account. Here are some great tips the experts from Local Line shared for helping your online store generate sales. First, have a catchy and consistent branding. Your brand should match your products and be easily identified as yours. Second, complete your about section so you can share your unique business story to current and future customers. What sets you apart from everyone else? Your customers want to know. Third, product descriptions are really important. Make sure they're descriptive and include keywords like organic, grass-fed, or gluten-free if it's applicable. And lastly, include pictures. 75% of shoppers rely on photos when deciding whether to purchase, and 63% say images are more important than product descriptions. These tips are more than just great suggestions. They actually work. Riverbell Market Garden in Dresden, Ontario increased their sales by 42% the year they started using Localine. So stop using phone calls and a notebook to manage your fulfillment and get yourself set up with a website and an online store. Instead of their standard seven-day free trial, Local Line is offering listeners of the Rural Woman podcast a 30-day free trial of their software and a free premium feature with your first year subscription. Visit go.localline.ca slash ruralwoman to get started. That's go dot localline.ca slash rural woman and start taking control of your business. Tell us more about how your CSA and your vegetable CSA and how you manage that coming into this being a first generation farmer. Sure. A lot of research. So that's kind of my end of our business is I spend a lot of time reading up on and learning how to do, I guess, most of the homesteading things that we do, any of the produce growing or livestock. We haven't really done a ton of livestock, mostly just laying hens. But yeah, so we, we got to the farm. It was, it had been an aronia berry farm, a U-pick. And if any of the listeners don't know what aronia berries are, they are they kind of look like blueberries, but they're almost black and they taste awful. They're super <laughs> bitter. They really do. They're so bad, but they're extreme. They're like one of the highest antioxidant fruits on the market. So they're really, really good for you. This awesome super fruit. And I think the previous owners of our farm kind of got starry eyed about that because they're native to Iowa, so they're really easy to grow, and they really don't have any potential disease risks or pests or anything like that. So because of that, you know, here's this really possibly profitable fruit we can grow without any issues. And I totally understand that. And when we went into the farm, we were like, okay, let's keep, it was probably about three quarters of an acre of this field was filled with aronia bushes, and we kept half of it that first year. And then we were working with half an acre of our own produce. So that would have been just across the board, vegetables, tomatoes, greens, potato, anything you can think of in a CSA, we tried growing. And then we also tried selling erronea berries, which 
have a short season in September, just a couple weeks. And we would bring those to the market and people would be like, oh, blueberries. And we had a sample bucket out because they have such a unique taste. People would take a bite and be like, oh, these are horrible. Like just on their faces, you could see it and be like, I'm so sorry. They're not blueberries. Like (laughs) people probably thinking we're the worst blueberry farmers on the planet. (laughs) It's it's these erroneous berries that you just cannot... What do you, they're astringent. That's what people always say. Because they take all the spit out of your mouth. You like pucker up. They're called chokeberries. So anyway, within that first year, we grew this produce and then decided the following year we would take all those out. And we did and grew the entire acre. But that was that was how we got started with that. And we grew a little bit of flowers, probably just like a tiny little corner chunk was flowers, which is what we do now full-time other than the vegetables. And we had, I think we had 60 chickens. So it really wasn't too big, but it was enough where we could feed several other people. So I think we had about 15 families that first year of about two to four people each. And that was really successful to us. And we, we really did enjoy the whole process of getting where people would pay up front and we could kind of pay off all of our upfront costs for the season and then feed them throughout the year. And that we did a CSA that was from like the second week in June through the end of October is about our season, our good vegetable season. And we can go a little earlier in the spring, but yeah, it was, uh, it, it worked out really well. And we, we were giving people about a half bushel of vegetables per week. And then along with our friend's meat that she raised. So it was a good little deal that worked out. And I enjoyed it. Just really ended up getting burnt out by it, if I'm being honest. (laughs) By the time we were into our second year doing that. So the flowers kind of is where we turned to for relief so that we could still grow things. It's funny that you say that you were burnt out by the vegetable gardening because I feel like there are many people in 2020 that probably relate to you for all of the 2020 gardeners out there who started this big garden. And uh, by the time September came, like you said, wasted most of the produce because you didn't know how to store it or didn't know what to do with it or couldn't eat as much. (laughs) That is a story that I've heard from many of my friends who became urban gardeners this year. They're like, I don't know what to do with all of this. I'm like, I'm not the one to ask because this year was also my first year, even though I'm on a farm and I'm a farmer. So, (laughs) yeah, no, it was a crazy year. And If anything, over the past, it's been five years of being in Iowa and learning about gardening and what to do with all of it. If there's anything I've learned, it's just to plan around what you're hoping to throughout the year. And that has really, that's helped me, at least in the preserving department. With the CSA, where we were growing, let's just say that first year, a half acre of produce and feeding 20 families. And by the end of it, you know, that first year realized like, wow, I didn't get to eat any of my stuff. Cause that was the whole point of us doing this is we wanted to be more sustainable with our family and grow our own food and preserve that. 
And then also like, okay, maybe we can turn this kind of into a business and at least pay for what we're growing. That way, feed other families who want to eat organically and well, and we're not certified organic. We just grow with organic practices in mind. But it ended up, I I don't know, I just realized like, okay, I wanted to make pickles this year. And I didn't get to save any cucumbers because we were giving all of that food away. And it just kind of became stressful. And the other big reason, other than being burnt out, is it wouldn't have been the growing season of 2019. We doubled our CSA, doubled the space in the growing field, which was great. And we were so excited. I had this great plan. I finally like figured out how to really micromanage all the crops and get the yields that I wanted. I was, I was pumped and we had the absolute worst spring ever. It just, it rained and rained and flooded the whole field. And I think I planted our brassicas at least three times and had to go in and I, I start all of our plants from seed and I had to go out and like outsource plants so that I could just fill in because I'd already promised all these people food. So it was just, it was a nightmare that year. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and it, uh, it kind of sounds so stressful. It was. And that's the thing with farming is you just don't know what kind of season you're going to have. You're, you go in with all these high hopes and dreams and like, okay, this is how I'm going to fix this. And you end up mother nature just decides she knows what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So you made the switch then to just full-time flower farming. Tell us, obviously you, we get the gist of a few decisions of why you decided to do this, but tell us more of why you decided to be a full-time flower farmer instead. Yeah. So it it was that year, the year with all of the horrible weather and then the burnout of serving people every single week and having this huge promise on your shoulders to provide food for them, which some people, you know, really want to handle. And there were definitely moments this past year where I was like, I could do this again and handle it and maybe fix it differently. But looking back, I probably, I don't know if I'll ever go back to selling vegetables The main reason too with the flowers is we would take those with the farmer's market. So we were growing veggies and then had these little flowers on the side, mostly just for fluff and to look pretty. And they were easier to grow than a lot of the vegetable crops we were growing. And we would go to the farmer's market, have it all set up and people would buy a bouquet of flowers, you know, drop. 12 to $20 on a bouquet of flour and would just walk by a carton of tomatoes for $2 that were the organically grown tomatoes that took so much work and effort. And I feel like I would just grow flowers and cut them and people would buy them. So they're more profitable to us and people enjoyed them more. So we decided maybe, maybe we need to refocus what we're growing and what we're doing and actually try to, you know, make some decent prop of this. And uh, that's kind of how that happened. And yeah, last year was our first year growing full-time flowers. We only did, I would say a third of our field in flowers. And it was 
extremely profitable in comparison. And it was still 2020 with all of its issues. And we decided we would try doing wedding design and add that into the mix. And that went really well. So yeah, we're, we're excited for the upcoming year and hoping, crossing our fingers, you know, it gets a little better <laughs> with everything going on. What a way to pivot into 2020, your business, and then have to pivot again because of 2020. <laughs> I feel like that's just my whole life. <laughs> it's just pivoting around. <laughs> Tell us how COVID affected your business this year. Oh, gosh. Well, the farmer's markets were completely canceled around us. So we didn't have that to fall back on at all, which is where a lot of our income comes from is going to the farmer's market. Um, they did end up, the the major farmer's market that we go to ended up having um, virtual sales where customers could buy online and then come to the market and then pick up their stuff. And we wouldn't even, it sounds like we wouldn't have even really had to be there. We would have just had to drop off our product. And we decided to back out of that because flowers are such an impulse buy when you're walking around the market. We had trouble selling bouquets online ourselves. We tried doing that where you could pick a bouquet on our website and then come to our store on the farm and pick it up. And that didn't last very long because people can't see what they're getting. You're kind of dealing with the online floral industry in that way where you're like, this is an example of what you could get, but it's not specific to what you're actually going to pick up when you get to the store. So that affected our business in a huge way. I guess the best part was that we kind of figured out how we want to handle weddings. And we did get quite a few brides this year that were looking for a smaller, a smaller style because a lot of weddings had to get canceled or people were doing courthouse weddings, smaller gatherings with only like 10 people. So how do you incorporate flowers into that? And I, I assumed most people would be like, well, I just don't even want to get flowers. But there were quite a few brides that were like, well, I still want that. I still want to have that look. And I also want it for photos. So we had a lot of people come in and be like, let's design a bouquet. And then we sell bulk buckets of flowers where you get like 50 to 100 stems all mixed up. Or you could do specific colors or specific style, different types of flowers. And then they get to design that themselves. So they're kind of DIY options. And a lot of people really liked that. And we kind of realized maybe this is the type of person that we want to, to attract other than this full blown out wedding design for this major event. And it's making me curious for sure if, in these next couple of years, are people going to kind of turn turn more to a smaller event like that? But yeah, other than that, I guess the only other thing that COVID really affected was us having workshops at the farm. We tried to find a way to get around that. We just decided we'll just wait and kind of hold off on that until the future when we kind of know what's what's going on for us. They're starting to already shut stuff down again around us. 
right yeah here too so it's 2020 has been the year of the dumpster fire but yeah. it sounds like you guys pivoted again on top of your pivot and made it work for you so that's great yeah well and and like you said you found your you found your perfect customer and it seems like it fits your mo for your farm and for your wanting to be sustainable and all of that kind of stuff so it it sounds like it kind of worked out very weird way <laughs> It did. Yeah. It's, I, I feel like with farming, it's just always up in the air. Yes. Yeah. You think you've figured it out and then something else affects that. And I mean, that, I guess you could say that about any type of business, but it feels like we're kind of figuring out where we want to go when it comes to what we're growing, who we're selling to and all that of it. Yes, absolutely. So your flowers are grown organically with sustainability in mind. Tell us why these practices are important to you. I guess that all started, I ended up watching this documentary on Netflix when we first got started. So before we even grew our first little garden called Sustainable. And it was something that I hadn't really thought about when it came to, I guess, just how we were eating. And I started looking more into that. And that was really interesting to me how the choices I was making just by going grocery shopping was affecting farmers, producers, just the world in general. And that that was really kind of what first inspired me to look into a more sustainable lifestyle. And then also my son, who when we first grew that garden, he would have been just a little over a year old. So I wanted to feed him the best foods he could get. And he was just starting to learn how to eat. And the more that I grew and the more I looked into organic practices and kind of had him out in the garden with me, the more I realized like he wanted to eat what we were growing because he was helping pick it. So that was just the most important part to me. And the the more I research on it, even now, just all the effects that it has within the whole life cycle of the plant and of the insects and pollinators that we're dealing with, I just don't think I'll ever want to stop growing that way. It's kind of hard to describe. <laughs> you're talking to an organic farmer, so I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like all of the deeper cycles of it are what really interest me. And to me, it just is logical. Like, why would I pick something that's unnatural and you're not necessarily getting a better result, at least for the things that we're growing? Right. And obviously, it's different in every area and every farmer or ranch or homestead or whatever is going to do what works for them in their area. But if you could do it this way and not have the cost of all of those inputs, I don't understand why you wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel the same way. I think it's, it. yeah, because it's a double-edged sword because we're friends with a lot of conventional farmers. I, I mean, our neighbors all around us are all conventional. And it's, it's something that I've thought about quite a bit and I I guess I never want to get defensive or angry about that because I know they're also trying to make a living and based on what they're growing or the animals they're raising, it, it would be financially impossible to just switch over. 
completely. Yeah. Yeah. You're preaching to the choir here. We uh, <laughs> we sound like we're in the same area. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. So what growing zone are you in in Iowa? We're in growing zone uh, 5B. Okay. So what are some of your favorite flowers that you have grown in your zone? And what are some of the flowers that you have grown or have tried to grow that just don't work for you? <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, some of the best flowers that we grow are snapdragons. I, and a lot of people are surprised by that. But I think it's because we have such a nice, cool spring and fall season, and they really enjoy that weather. They don't do too well in super hot summers. So that that has been by far our best flower crop every year that we've grown them. Uh, we grow zinnias like crazy, cosmos, really the simple, you know, more easy ones. We try not to get too complicated. Uh, we grow dahlias, but we're kind of, since we're in the beginning stages, we don't have a ton of crop for that yet. So we're building that up slowly, but those are a showstopper every year. People love dahlias. And this year specifically, what I can think of is we tried growing dianthus or carnations and those were kind of bizarre and didn't do well. And I'm not I'm not sure if it was a heat issue or a soil issue, but they just kind of dried up and I don't know. It was, it was bizarre, but those didn't really work out in our zone and we grew asters, but they just had a really short season, but they were beautiful while they lasted. So any, any kind of like extreme heat loving flower that needs a longer sun season does not really do too well where we're at. Well, from the looks of it online, your flowers turned out to be beautiful. And I would have never known that any of them didn't work out. So <laughs> <laughs> you guys look like you did a great job. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, no, there was definitely, definitely crop failure for sure. <laughs> right. There always is. There always is. I'm thinking about, like, like I mentioned before, I had my first vegetable garden this year and some things did very well and other things I replanted however many times. And I'm just like, why won't you grow? Yeah, they just don't feel like it. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, mm, not today. Not today. I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> Luckily, it was only for my husband and I and some of the hired guys got some of my vegetables and I made sure that when I brought a meal to the field, I let them know I grew this and it was delicious and all of the things. So I made sure they complimented me extra for the meal that I brought them. Oh, <laughs> good. Yes. <laughs> you deserve that. It takes yeah. a lot of work. Right, exactly. You have heard me tell you all about the amazing benefits that come with being a patron of the Rural Women Podcast through Patreon, but I wanted to share with you a few testimonials from the patron gang themselves. Patron Annabelle writes, I became a patron so I could enrich my knowledge of the diverse world of agriculture. Although I live and breathe farming and ranching, there is a lot I don't know. I believe learning that how and why people do things will help me improve being a better rancher myself. This podcast also helps with the feeling of isolation. I hear the voices of ladies from all walks of life living a similar life to my own. This type of outreach is not only vital for us in the business, but those wanting to learn about the people growing and raising their food. 
I'm well aware that podcasts take an outstanding amount of time and money to create, so I felt like I, as well as others, can make a small monthly contribution that can help make a long-lasting podcast. Join Annabelle and the rest of the patron gang in supporting the stories of women in agriculture to be shared through the Rural Women podcast starting at $2 a month over on Patreon. Visit wildrosefarmer.com slash Patreon to learn more. So tell us more about your country store. You mentioned it before. Tell us how you guys got the idea to start selling directly off the and what that looks like today. The country store was the garage on the property. And my parents have always been extremely creative and they just building things all around any of our homes that we lived in. And that when we first moved there, the garage was this four car garage and then has like this little side room off of it, which I'll bring up in a second. But the, that was kind of always the vision for that was to turn it into our store. So the first year that we moved there was, it would have been the winter of 2017. And we started planning for the farm, started this CSA and then construction on the country store started in the summer, right around when CSA started for our customers to start picking their food up. And we realized really quickly, like, wow, we, we need food storage because when I was putting all of our vegetables into our home refrigerator, which was not working well at all. So we ended up buying this little commercial glass front fridge it's a single single door, so it's it's small. It's kind of more display, but I would pile all the vegetables up in there, and they were just jam-packed. And we would pop up a 10 by 10 tent in our driveway, and that's where everybody would pick stuff up, and then I'd have to go in the garage and grab their food out, which was a fine system, but we wanted something that was a little bit more professional than that, and then also better storage vegetables. So really what it felt like was I had this massive garden and people coming up and taking food out of my garden instead of at this farm. And we wanted it to feel like a farm. And then we also wanted people to come and be able to shop our handmade products. We were still making those at the time. And we wanted we wanted people that weren't part of our CSA to come get vegetables and be able to shop for those and not have it feel like this haphazard roadside stand. So that was kind of where the inspiration for the store started. And when we first opened up, it would have been November of the following year. So November of 2018, we had this vision of making it more of a country store or like a co-op where our friends could sell their meats there that they were farming on a small scale. And maybe we could have you know, dairy from somebody who was doing it on a small scale or if somebody, we don't really grow berries or anything like that. So somebody that had basically anything that we couldn't offer sell at the store, which I still really love that idea. The thing is, is all of the licensing that you need behind that and the cost behind that. And we weren't sure how successful it was going to be because our farm is out in the middle of nowhere and it's not necessarily super easy to get to or nearby anything where people would be passing by. So it ended up not being 
a financially great idea for us. And while we were selling all of those vegetables, we weren't really getting the traffic that we wanted other than our CSA members and some people passing by. So we just kind of had to change that, turn around and redecide what we wanted to do. And even this last year, when we didn't have regular open hours and we were trying to be an occasional shop, it was like, okay, maybe this is not working out in the way that we need it to. Our families, because being open every day was not working out either. So now we're trying to trying to make it more of an event place where we can have people come to classes. And that could be across the board. Obviously, we're hoping to do a lot of floral classes, but we are kind of also hoping to do some homesteading inspired classes too. So I think that's kind of where we're going to end up heading in the direction of it, but I don't want to say we're never going to the store again because that could always happen too. For sure. Well, and the garage is beautiful. I was looking at it online and I was like, I wish my <laughs> garage looked as beautiful as <laughs> your garage does, even though it is never going to be that clean or that beautiful. <laughs> oh, thanks. It was definitely not that clean beforehand. Right. <laughs> we we lucked out with all of the exposed beams in there. Those were already there. So that we did luck out on that. But yeah, no, it completely be redone, drywall put up, the garage doors taken out and replaced and everything. So, but yeah, it turned out it turned out pretty good, I think. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, tell us more about your online presence. Like you said, you started blogging for your mom's website. Tell us how you've turned that blog into what under a tin roof is today. Okay. Well, when I first started, I I just kind of went with the idea of write what you know. And at that time, I was navigating being a young single mom. So I wrote a lot about that and kind of tried doing some DIYs on there. And I guess what really sparked an inspiration for me and kind of what has led into now is I grew those herbs in our kitchen and I about that just really spoke to me and I ended up looking into like okay what do I do with all of these I, I was growing just kind of your standard stuff thyme and rosemary and basil and I was made to cook and looked into what what you could do with those herbs cooking wise. And then other than that, I wasn't really sure what you used more floral herbs for like lavender or camel. So I ended up writing about what I was learning and teaching myself. And that was, people really liked that from the small amount of people I had reading it. I'm pretty sure it was just all my friends and local people around the area. And then we grew that garden and I I decided I'm going to write about my experience with this and then also write some instruction for what I'm learning about, especially being on social media. People love to ask questions. So I was really enjoying answering those and sharing what we were doing and what we were finding out about living a more sustainable lifestyle, living with less waste. Uh, I was teaching myself how to compost, how to care for chickens. So it just turned into this whole 
blog of my life turning from living in a city setting to a rural setting. And it was just really fun to write about. And then by the time we got to the farm and had learned more about what we were doing, I felt like, okay, now I can kind of start writing about teaching others and sharing that over our newbie experiences. So, and now it has turned into this whole collection of recipes that I've figured out how to make after teaching myself how to cook and preserving the food that we grow hard and how to operate with small livestock. Uh, We're hoping to kind of add into that. So I'll have more experiences to write about with new livestock we're going to add this year. So that that's my passion definitely behind our whole business is writing about what we're learning on the farm and on the homestead. It is a very well done blog. I was reading through all of your blog posts and I was looking at your beautiful embroidery patterns and all of the things and thinking that I could teach myself how to embroider, but instead I think I'm just going to stick to podcasting and admiring all of the wonderful things that you're doing (laughs) under a tin roof. (laughs) Thank you. Hey, I mean, there's still time. It's a good winter project, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Well, I taught myself how to hand knit a few weeks ago, and then I decided that I'm going to hand knit everybody a blanket for Christmas. So I've been working on that and oh, have I been love that. kicking myself in the butt ever since. <laughs> but it's good. Oh, it's no. good. <laughs> you know, when I first learned how to knit, which is something that I, I also like sharing on the blog, I knit my grandma a sock. I thought I would knit her this beautiful pair of socks. She loved getting socks every year for Christmas. That's kind of been our thing. And I didn't know how to close the toe. (laughs) So I just ended up gifting her like this huge, like disproportional sock with an open toe. And she turned it into a wine koozie. (laughs) (laughs) And now I think it's a doll or something. Right. But you know what? I'm sure she just loved it. (laughs) Yes, she did. (laughs) And I always think like the handmade gifts, it's the thought that counts no matter how old you are. Like if your five-year-old gives you a painting or if your 30-year-old daughter gives you a crooked blanket, like you should be (laughs) appreciative. (laughs) Yes. And they will love those blankets forever. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Kayla, it has been so wonderful chatting with you this morning. I love to get to know your story and I have just enjoyed chatting with you. You and I are going to stop going here and record a bonus episode over on the Patreon now. But for the listeners here, my final last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you? Most rewarding part would have to be teaching my son, well, now my son. I have two, how to live a more simplified lifestyle and watching them eat things out of the garden and grow things themselves, how to care for animals, that that will always be the most rewarding part. And I love knowing that they're going to have twice as much knowledge as me about things and take that into their adult lives and hopefully with their families uh, when they have them. So that's that for sure just warms my heart and pushes me to keep going. 
That's awesome. Well, thank you again so much for joining me on the show. For the listeners who would like to connect with you online after, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me online. We're at underatinroof.com. And then we're also uh, on Instagram at underatinroof. Perfect. And I will link those in the show notes and my listeners can connect with you and love on you and that brand new baby Dean. He is so cute. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Friends, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. Starting in January 2021, you can hear bonus content from this interview as well as others over on Patreon. Joining and supporting sharing the stories of women in agriculture through the Rural Woman podcast just got better. Starting at the $10 a month tier or higher, you get bonus episodes, exclusive content, discounts, merchandise, and more. Don't forget, you can join the patron gang over on Patreon from now until December 31st, 2020, and be entered to win a Google Nest Mini, where you can listen to all of your favorite episodes of the Rural Woman podcast. To learn more, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. Friends, thank you again so much for tuning in to this week's episode, and we will see you back here real soon. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can stay connected with me on Instagram at wildrosefarmer. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Plus, share it with a friend. We'll see you next time.